Welcome back to another week on MWO Sports. Ryan Drury here. I'll be joined first by Clarkie as we chat with Sean Fitzgerald, senior writer with The Athletic here in Canada, about a number of big NHL topics, including the newest scandal on the NHL's hands, the Evander Kane gambling allegations. We'll also dive into the Chicago Blackhawks ongoing scandal, as well as Montreal making a pretty suspect draft choice. Then myself and Steve Sabrin will be joined by Julianne Stolle from Lucknow as she returns from her first Olympics in Tokyo. Can't wait to talk to Julianne about her experience over there. And we'll wrap up chatting with Jake Bolin Moss of Cool Bet on some great bets for you to lay down on the UFC this weekend and an NFL futures bet as well. Football around the corner. I can't wait. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by Cool by Dazio, Ryan Drury, alongside Clarky. We're very pleased to be joined by a special guest, friend of the show, a returning guest, Sean Fitzgerald, a senior writer for The Athletic here in Canada. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you fellas doing? You know, we're uh, we're holding it together. It's pandemic time still. I mean, I think things are getting a little more normal. The Jays are back. So, I mean, that's something, isn't it? Uh, but, I mean, looking across the NHL landscape right now, obviously we're past the initial point of free agent frenzy, and uh, there were a lot of crazy deals thrown around. I believe they set a record for money paid out in contracts. Uh, I mean, it seems that the NHL has recovered from its uh, financial woes, if you will, as a whole with new team coming in and everything i guess to start sean were, were there any deals that or trades even that caught you off guard that kind of made you go hmm that's a bit of a weird one well i mean i think mark andre Fleury is where you probably have to start right you have a goaltender who had a pretty good season and then you know allegedly finds out on social media that he's being moved um and then also the move itself to chicago that you know, Chicago seems to be handing out dead cap space to anybody who wants some. And for what point? I'm not 100% sure what they're building towards. But, I mean, you're looking at something that caught your eye on a, you know, strictly humanitarian level, uh, sending a player who is beloved in Vegas, who is trying to build a life in Vegas, who had built a life in Vegas by all accounts, um, had done a lot for the franchise, especially in those early days when we weren't sure whether or not it was even going to survive in Nevada, was happy to be an ambassador also played pretty well on the ice, which is important. And to have him shipped out in that manner, I think is probably the one that, you know, if I had eyebrows, fellas, would probably be the one that raised him the most. <laughs> and you didn't mention he was the Vesna Trophy winner. Well, like, there's that too. There's that too. Like, for, and he like basically gets traded for a bag of pucks, which is unbelievable. Um, what did you think of Zach Hyman getting 5-5 five, five in, in Edmonton? Yeah, I mean, it's... I'm sitting here in Toronto... And, I mean, this gets thrown around a lot. But, I mean, you know, for all of the headaches that playing in Toronto can sort of create, and it is a lot, um, there's also the value of I really do think that, you know, if you generate some positive publicity in Toronto, um, if you get people talking about you, like TSN National, like that's the first story. Uh, Sportsnet is a regional thing, but nationally, you know, you're still going to hear a lot about Leafs that, I think, you know, I'm not a marketer, but you're talking about things like brand awareness. Um, I think that, you know, when Hyman's positives are uh, reinforced in a national media discussion, that that might help drive up some value. That's not to say he's not a valuable player and that he doesn't deserve it, but it's an interesting discussion to have. It is. And I mean, Clarkie and I talked about this 
ad nauseum leading up to uh, free agent frenzy, uh, which was a month later, essentially this year than it normally is. And we had a lot of time to kind of sit on free this, agent right? frenzy on July 28th. Isn't something you're going to get behind on a go forward basis here. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I don't personally care, but it felt wicked weird. Uh, Time's I, a flat circle, it. man. I don't even know what year it is anymore. Like we have free agency I, July yeah, 28th. And you know, the funny thing is <laughs> I got a memory on my Facebook today. I was watching the Leafs in Columbus a year ago tonight. And I'm like, Oh yeah, they were playing in August. Isn't that awful? Yeah. That's kind of, so that's kind of depressing that Facebook's, Hey, Remember that awful playoff series yeah, you were watching? Thank you. Yeah, you thank did you that very much. Ago. What have you been done with your life in the last 365? Exactly. That's That's just exactly. Gain more weight. I ate more burgers. Uh, yeah, it, it is weird, though, because we did talk a lot about Zach, and you're you're right. He seems to be one of those guys that, uh, you know, on his way out of Toronto is riding a wave of positivity and, and praise. A lot of guys that end up leaving Toronto go somewhere else and end up doing better. And people say, oh, well, it's because of the media. It's because of the fishbowl. It's because la, la, la. That's not the case here with Zach Hyman. And I think he probably was able to bank that into at least two more years than he probably would have ideally gotten Toronto and probably what a million more on his AAV, because let's be honest here, Sean, I don't know what your thoughts are on him as much as he's a good guy and they love him in the locker room. He is for what he is, in my opinion, a very replaceable player in the NHL. That's just my opinion on him. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think certainly where he was used and, and the fit that he had in Toronto, I mean, they could be unique. There could be something to that. But, I mean, if you have him on a line with McDavid, who's basically been playing with me and a guy who punches faces for a long time, um, you get a guy who can go into a corner at 100 miles an hour and fish the puck out for you so that you don't have to, um, who will do it every night, uh, will do it, you know, missing ligaments in his knees in the playoffs if you have to, will go and do all of that stuff, never complain, be that guy in the dressing room who's not uh, a challenge. Um, I think there's value to that. And I think in Toronto that that was, that was probably kind of invaluable. And you know, going in and doing some of that dirty work and, and creating some space um, by, you know, getting that stuff that's not going to get you on the highlight packs outside of Toronto um, can be very valuable for a team that has some high-level offensive talent and a very questionable blue line, but a high-level offensive talent in Edmonton. Where do you think that leaves the Maple Leafs this year? They, I mean, they filled a couple of gaps, I guess. I was talking to a buddy today who's from the area who loves Nick Ritchie, the Orangeville native signing with the Leafs. Um, but where do you think that leaves the Maple Leafs? Are they not as good? I mean, they made the trade, or not trade, but it was basically a trade. Freddie Anderson for uh, Mrazek and Nett. Um, where do you see them this year? I don't want to go and plagiarize Steve Dangle on this. Um <laughs> I don't want to plagiarize him, but I, I feel like what we're doing here is we're now talking back about sort of discussing the Maple Leafs ingredients. Like here they are, here they are like marginal kind of players. When the conversation that probably we should be having is, you know, existentially, what is this team? This is a team that just went and tripped all over its own face on national television again with the same group again. God bless Nick Ritchie. Good Peterborough Pete boy. But like, what in the hell is going on? Like, what, what are we fundamentally expecting is going to change? Like, the, the goaltending, is that a significant upgrade? No. Um, the character of this team, um, the fact Mitch Marner is a wonderful, skilled player, uh, couldn't generate, like, you know, three meaningful shots in an elimination game. 
Um, the fact that the Montreal Canadiens, obviously, who did some damage against some pretty good teams too, still made these guys look awfully pedestrian. And if that was a one-off in an isolated case, you say, you know what, well, the Montreal Canadiens found the magic shutdown. But guess what? We've been talking about this for 17 years in Toronto. And with this core, and people will say, rightly, well, you can't blame the failures of this organization dating back to 1967 on the current core. Well, guess what? This current core has built a resume that you can blame a lot of garbage on. Um, so with this core, with this makeup, I think that you can get lost at this point, as tempting as it might be, talking about some of these marginal additions and subtractions when the real question should be, what is this team? And why do we think that anything around the edge is going to substantively change what we've seen over the last several years? You're absolutely right. And, and it's an interesting conversation because I, I think that it's almost part of the psyche of the fan base who, are, you know, let's be honest, they're a loud fan base uh, where they they want to invest their belief in switches and changes to the roster when things don't work. But the constants that are there are, like you said, the ones that are eventually going to be what? 70, maybe even 80% of the success if something good does happen. Because let's be honest, I, I'm a Capitals fan. Everybody can see it behind me. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter that eventually a bunch of the, the bottom six started playing well around Ovechkin and Backstrom. They won because Ovechkin and Backstrom, once again, were really good and some other guys showed up and they finally got it done. Pittsburgh, after winning that first one, tripped and tripped. All we heard, Sean, you know this, for years, they got to trade Malkin. They got to trade Chris Letang. They got to trade Flurry, And eventually they did, but they won two cups first. But they won those cups and Chicago, Taves, Kane, they won because their best guys were the best. And the Leafs aren't going to do anything, no matter if they bring in 10 Nick Richies. It's great. I love the intangibles he has. But Austin Matthews got to score some goals. Mitch Marner's got to score some goals. I mean, let's not forget that like Sidney Crosby has spent years playing with dudes that you have to look up on Hockey DB. It's like Johnny <laughs> Fran Dupuis. Yeah, like Johnny Friendly and Bobby Schmang, whatever. Like dudes that you're like, that's not a real name. And all of a sudden, yeah. they have 55 points. It's like, who the, who the hell are these guys? Well, they're playing with Sidney Crosby. Like, and also, Chris Letang was hurt for a lot of that, too, which also yep. set them back, right? Like, real injury problems, to say nothing of what Crosby dealt with. Um, but I'm also not going to compare Austin Matthews to Sidney Crosby. And I'm not going to compare Mitch Marner uh, to Evgeny Malkin. Like, those are, those are two top 100 players. I don't care what the ratings – I mean – Malkin's a top 100 player of all time. Yes. Um, we're not here with these leaps. They are fantastic regular season teams that have done almost as much as I've done in the NHL playoffs since 2015. That's a, a stingingly fair point, and that's just the reality that they're going to live with and uh, until they, till they change that narrative, which Ovechkin did, Steve Eiserman did back in the day. Those guys changed that narrative. And That's the problem is, as we've talked about before, Dubas isn't going to trade one of these guys because he'll never think he's going to get the right value for them. Well, like, then if they do this again, he won't be the I, general manager. Well, I don't think there's any question. If they don't win around next year, they're both gone. Shanahan and Dubas are gone. That's like, and that's, that's the other thing, too. I mean, the, the, the flip side of this coin is that, like, we're not talking about marginal talents here. Like, Mitch no. Warner is an otherworldly talent. Yep. Austin mm. Matthews, outside of, 
and you know Alexander Ovechkin might be one of the most natural goal scorers in the league right now. Yeah. Um, they have high level talent. I'm a huge supporter of Morgan Riley. I mean, I, you know, potentially should be captain material if he's here beyond the end of his contract. They did catch a bad break, no pun intended, yep. with John Tavares going down. Does yep. he make the difference in that series, given what we saw? I remain to be convinced, and I'll never know. So, yeah, that's the problem. You go and you trade Mitch Marner, you go in the toilet, and Mitch Marner goes and wins a cup with, what, Boston or wherever. Um, yeah. But that being said, like, this is a core that hasn't proven jack and is being uh-huh. paid what the Chicago core was after it started winning. Right. And we we had this discussion, I think, yes. Ryan and I last week or a couple weeks ago about, you know, where did they make their mistake? Was the mistake Tavares? Was the mistake Matthews? Where was the mistake? It's you hard know? to look at that Tavares mistake because I don't think there was a person in the world who thought we'd be talking about that as a mistake when right. they were chasing him. Yeah, I, and I, I tend to agree with you. I think the mistake was given the guys who hadn't proved themselves – the big money. Anyway, I mean, we can move on, Ryan. Out, yeah. Why don't you get into the uh, Vander Kane, Ryan? Well, yeah, if we're going to move on to that, I, I mean, obviously a pretty crazy ongoing story right now. Uh, a, an internet, something that I don't love covering even just in life in general. Uh, a real he said, she said situation that we have here, Sean. And it's a delicate one because of the content of what's being argued. Uh, obviously, if if you're not familiar, our listeners and viewers, I, if you pay attention, I don't know how you miss this. Evander Kane's uh, current wife uh, made some pretty serious allegations that uh, he has. Uh, I think it's somewhat public knowledge. He has a gambling problem. And that's one thing, but she's alleging that he intentionally gambled upon and threw and tried to alter results of games that he's been playing in for the San Jose Sharks over the last number of years and uh, made a bunch of other pretty, you know, tough accusations about his, you know, ability as a father. And I don't live with the Canes. I'm not going to comment on that. But just in regards to these pretty serious gambling accusations, what has been your take of all the information that's been thrown at us over the last week and a bit here, Sean, with this Pretty unfortunate story, really. I'm going to take it a bit aside here and just sort of point out that the NHL was pretty quick to come out with a statement to say it was investigating Mm -hmm. what was going on with the Evander Kane situation. It was not nearly as fast to respond to what's going on in Chicago. And I would argue, you know, the far more serious litigation that's involved a Blackhawks player who alleged that he was sexually assaulted by uh, the team's former video coach. The NHL didn't say that, but they did hop all over. Um, you know, the allegation within a domestic situation. Uh, it's just, I think it's worth pointing out. That being said, yeah. um, I mean, from Evander Kane's perspective, yeah, those are damning allegations. And they're serious allegations. Um, when you set out on social media and one of the first things you say are that my legal counsel advised me against this you should place a period close your phone and do not complete whatever message you're going to type don't press send Mm. yeah Yeah. and and obviously yeah you're referring to evander within about a day less than a day responding to his wife's posts which are very viral right now it's going to be very hard to prove though isn't it like, or is it? I don't know. Like, can you prove this stuff? 
I I don't know. Maybe ask Pete Rose. See, and I was just going to say, right, where with, with something like this, where it's a financial thing, where are the receipts? Like that's if if there's merit to this, there's got to be some skeletons in the closet here that you can physically see with your eyes and go. There was a transaction of cash here against such and such a night when Evander happened to be playing. And and it wouldn't be that hard to dig up to just go back to a certain date, look at a Las Vegas book and go. The Sharks were playing the Hurricanes that night. The the over under was this and there was a financial transaction. I'm just putting all, a this random- is all unfolding against the backdrop of the NHL jumping into partnerships with every single gambling house. <laughs> exactly. give it sponsors yeah. money so that we move down the road uh-huh. of Chris Clark can sit in the front row at Air Canada Center and bet on, you know, who's going to get the next three shots on net. Yep. Absolutely. It's just interesting timing. It and is again, interesting not to diminish timing. the severity no, no. of the allegations, yeah. but yeah. I'm saying the timing is really curious because we're heading into a point where like, it's going to be full premiership soccer over here in terms of what you can and can't bet on. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned Absolutely. the Chicago, the Chicago bad situation. What do you think is going to come of all that? Are there going to be guys who are banned from the game? What do you think? It depends on where the litigation goes. I mean, certainly, I mean, Rick Westhead and Katie Strang and Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers um, have been really sort of at the fore of, I'd say, the national conversation um, in the reporting. I mean, it's just, it's such an awful situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we're going to have to wait to see what more comes out. Certainly, uh, the allegations that have been put forward so far about who knew what when, uh, about how um, the, the alleged victim was treated among teammates. Um, it doesn't paint a pretty picture. And I think that as more falls into the public domain through litigation, potentially, um, this could become the major story of the year, if not the decade, mm-hmm. if not beyond. I completely agree. And I, I think that's a really succinct uh, and, and borderline you know, I'd say devastating way to put it really, because you're right, Sean, we're dealing with a a situation here that is obviously for, uh, for the better with things like the me too movement, such in the public eye as it should be. People should be paying a lot more attention to this type of thing than society in general has been willing to pay attention to over the last 20, 30 years. Now it's at the forefront of the public conscience. And you mentioned the NHL, like within an hour of Evander Kane's wife posting all this stuff that kicked off that firestorm within like an hour, the NHL has got a comment ready, but, but something serious that happened allegedly to one of their employees. And we know what Brad Aldrich did because he was convicted of it when he left the Blackhawks. They, they shrink into the shadows and it, this is just on both fronts, but particularly the Chicago one, such a PR, not that that really matters disaster. It, the, it makes the league look like a joke. More than that. Um, I think it speaks to a rot in hockey culture. Um, oh. and I don't, I don't, I don't use that word lightly. Um, and it's a deliberate choice. Um, there is a rot in hockey culture. Um, there is um, an inability or there is a feeling that players from a very young age are not free to speak 
um, any truth to power. Um, coaches have incredible influence from a very young age. Um, you know, a AAA coach can put in a good word or a bad word with an OHL scout. Um, uh, OHL teams can make kids disappear or good word, bad word, oh, this kid's a troubled kid. Like, and, and that's within the power structure. We're not even talking within the social structure of the team. Um, Daniel Carcillo has spoken about it, which isn't in the black and white grainy era of the original six. Like, like bad things happening in the back of buses. Like these sorts of things are in hockey culture. They're part of hockey culture. And part of this, you know, there are from, again, we don't know a ton, right? But from what we do know, um, you know, teams not speaking out, teams not um, trying to keep things in house, potentially, um, these are all things that need to be addressed. And I think they need to be addressed in a fundamental way. And I think that out of a horrible situation like this, if this does help push this conversation along, only good things can happen. And then you get to the um, 2021 draft and yeah. one of the holy grails of, well, according to them, franchises, the Montreal Canadiens, select an admitted sex offender in the first round. Like, how does this happen? Like, how does, how does someone... the same time as, a, as somebody who was essentially banned from Twitter um, and who had been suspended for eight games in the OHL for, you know, alleged racist abuse to one of his own teammates, signed a free agent contract with the Carolina Hurricanes, right? Like, these things all happen within weeks of each other. Tony yeah. D'Angelo, yeah, exactly. mm -hmm. Carolina. So you start painting a picture there. Yeah. What's being rewarded? Right. What's being enforced? I know. It's awful. It, it's awful. It, it is a weird it is a weird thing right and it ties in you know I, i'm reading a book right now by one of your athletic colleagues kavitha davidson and, and jessica luther the uh loving sports when they don't love you back and they tackle a number of different issues and this is kind of this is one of them there's a whole chapter on you know still cheering for teams or sports or leagues when all of this you know bad you know negative life-altering for some people things are going on with the players executives what have you and i like what you said sean yeah there is a rot with hockey culture it's like been known you know in in the close circles and the people that look really closely at it you didn't have to look very hard for a long time now of course that's not to say all hockey players are bad guys who sexually exploit women that that's not true either but it just seems like these stories, you don't have to look very far, or scroll very far on Twitter to find one. And that's a real problem. And then the Montreal Canadiens, who, like you said, Clarkie, up until that night, were held in unbelievably high regard in terms of sports franchise greatness, for the most part, other than... Sure, a squabble with a star goaltender or the but Richard riots yeah. didn't have something like this on their on their doorstep. Uh, unless you want riots, to you can't really put on the Montreal Canadiens. That was actually yeah. anti-French sentiment by Clarence Campbell and horrible Very racism true. for which they were victims. But extremely true. Extremely yeah. true. But uh, I mean, uh, if you want to throw in the whole saga with PK Subban as well but not like this to me until, and I think obviously he's a smart hockey person, but even in just saying that about Mark Bergevin, I think we need to get society and sports fans to a point where that doesn't necessarily matter. 
when things like this happen. Because in my opinion, I can't look at the Montreal Canadiens the same until he's no longer employed there. And the people that made this decision are no longer employed. I just, I can't wrap my head around what they were thinking here, Sean. There's a cynicism involved. And I think the, the calculus of that cynicism, I mean, even for me, I didn't get beyond grade 10 math, but like the calculus is pretty clear. Um, we're going to draft this kid. We got a lot of goodwill because we just went deeper in the playoffs than literally anybody in the world thought, including our own guys. And we're going to take some heat for a couple of weeks. It's going to die down. He's going to come back for rookie camp, training camp. And it's, you know, we'll wait for the storylines of he overcame adversity. And here he is now starting for the Montreal Canadiens. And then nobody will ever ask what that adversity was. They'll just say, oh, he overcame some tough time. And they'll overlook the story of the victim in this, who, by the way, told colleagues of mine at The Athletic that she hasn't forgiven him because she doesn't believe he's shown sincere contrition. Mm -hmm. um, that was the cynicism, I think, that was at play with this selection. Like he's, he's banned from playing in a league now. He was convicted. Like that. what he got yeah. was a summary fine, which in Swedish court, my limited understanding of the Swedish legal system is essentially a conviction. Yes. And I think that that's, you know, and in that book I'm reading and, and just in the, the topic that is at the forefront of things like this in general right now is sports. I think that's the thing that to a large degree and myself included and Clarky you as well. And I think most sane people that watch sports are pissed off with. Because Logan Mayu, other than getting a lot of fingers pointing at him for something that he's at fault for and no one else, isn't going through any adversity. I like I he's not the victim here. And I that's part of the rod of culture is it's on some of the fan bases and, and fans too that perpetuate this on social media. The, the thing that drives me up the wall anytime these things happen. Well, he made a mistake and he was a kid, and we all did dumb things when we were kids. Yeah, I did do dumb things when I was kid when I was a kid. I I I did dumb things on my bike. I ran over my friend once and broke his ankle. That was pretty stupid. I didn't sexually assault anybody. And I don't, I can't get the, any part of my brain to click in to going, oh, he's 17 year old kid and he made a mistake. When I was 17, I knew not to do that. I, this premise of, well, you've got to be an adult. And then if you're an adult, I guess it's a little different if he was 25. It's not different if he's 25. Not in my opinion. He, Logan Mayu, knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. And he did it with intent. And I don't care that he was 17 when that happened. I just don't. And, um, I don't think Montreal Canadiens fans should either. And I don't think that they should support having this guy be a part of their organization. And I know a lot of them don't listen so. to women around the league who have been talking about, you know, these chats, these chat groups. Um, this isn't the only, you know, this isn't the only chat group um, uh, where this exists. Hey, uh, I, I want to change the topic. What's, Go ahead, what's the latest with Jack Kyle. Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres? Is this, <sighs> Where is this going to end up? If you, 
I mean, yeah, moving everything aside that we've just been talking about, mm-hmm. um, if you're a fan who's going to be frustrated with an organization, could you be more frustrated than if you're a fan of the Buffalo Sabres right I now? I don't think so. Well, Leaf like, fans are. But... I mean, yeah, I mean, the Leafs... <laughs> well, no, I hear you, but... No, I mean, I, the, no, Leafs, it's, the it's Leafs have this. been plunging the depths of futility for a long, long Thank time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the, the Sabres are in that race. Like, they got the plunger right alongside them, right? Like, yeah. they've just... Yeah. I mean, even even things that they, they, they tried to do and lost. Uh, you know, remember the Mike Babcock sweepstakes? He was... Yes, he was there, yeah. He was there, and then he wasn't. Um, yeah. You know, they, they lost out on, on the, the first overall draft pick they wanted because of the lottery. Um, and then they go and they get Jack Eichel, and they surround him with a bunch of guys, again, who maybe don't play hockey all that well. Um, they splash a lot of money on guys. Um, remember Vili Leno uh, had a big, big, super expensive contract um, that he didn't exactly play out to the end, um, you know, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, yeah, they've just, they just had a history. And with the Pagulas and with, you know, the, the internal strife that you've been reading about, um, mm-hmm. colleague Tim Graham has been writing about it, mm-hmm. uh, layoffs. Um, just a, It seems like a really not nice place to work on the business side of it. And that has very clearly and maybe long since bled over um, to the hockey side. So they're becoming Arizona North. They're becoming Arizona North. Just the, it's an opposite problem. The Pagulas have so much money that they, they have just thrown cash at things and gone, let's get sign this player, Vili Leno, five years, four and a half million. They just throw money at this and think that that's going to solve it. And that's not how this works. Well, the problem is, is that it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not quite Arizona because Arizona is the place where, you know, <laughs> if you have five years left on a contract, but only $3 million of actual money owing, that's, that's where you right. go. And also, and also nobody cares. Right, yeah, that like less than nobody cares. Very um, true. Buffalo routinely has the highest. I mean, Clark, you would know. It's like, you know, if there's a Vegas Canadians final, what's the highest rated market in the United States? It's probably not it's Vegas. Them. It's them. It's them. Oh like, yeah. They they are aching for a good Sabers team, and that oh. city is a fun town. Um, when the Sabers are going well, it's a great loud barn. It's just a great mm-hmm. hockey town. It's a really great town. Yeah, I've been there for some nice Leaf oh, Sabre games. Great. It is. It is. I it's really wild. like Buffalo. Like, I, yeah, it's fun. I'm not even saying that. Like, I I enjoy. It you know, feels I'm, I'm looking, like a. Yeah. It, it feels like a community rink, just a bigger one. You know what I mean? You get that feel that this is a absolutely. This isn't yeah. a, the Air Canada Center. Bills or games too. Same, same thing with the Bills. Yeah. Like Bills games, been... a bit of a different vibe. I'm not going to equate <laughs> Sabers with Bills. Like, yeah, the, the Bills are a little wilder. I've seen too many people barf on themselves as they're walking out of that mm. tailgate into the stadium. That's true, yeah. Like I've I've seen too much. Little so where where does it all end up? Does he does I've he sit much. out? Does he get an operation on his neck? Does he? I think the neck sabers? thing's a really interesting one because you know from the reports that we were reading near the end of it, like this isn't like I'm an old man, you know, and I slept badly on my pillow last night, which I did, and I probably will again tonight. This is a, a pretty serious injury, so. I mean, can he come back and what percentage will he come back to no matter what procedure he gets? Because the procedure that he's been talking about getting isn't, again, going in for arthroscopic surgery. It's a pretty serious one. So I think the player's health, you know, needs to be discussed amongst all of the movement as well. 
like we're not sure where this guy's going to be when he comes mm -hmm. back. And and I say that more out of concern for Jack Eichel's long term projection and his long term health than than any of the future of the Sabers. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, just to compare it as well. I mean, I, I don't know, and I, I could be wrong. I just feel like if this was Austin Matthews we were talking about, he would have had the surgery already and it wouldn't be a story. I, I just there's something going on with Buffalo and the way that things are run there that, like you said, just feels amiss. And it's a mystery. And I feel bad for our friend Dwayne Steinel and the great fans down there. It's tough. The now Duffer, the Brian Duffer. Brian Duff, Duff absolutely. My buddy. Our, uh, Dan Dunleavy. I have a few buddies down there. Yeah, well, we'll uh, have to get some of them on maybe and talk yeah, with us because yeah, now the Pagoulas want the the city to pay for a new stadium. Uh, he is Sean Fitzgerald. He is the national writer for Canada for the athletic. He's also an author. Get his book before the lights go out. Uh, it's a fantastic read. Please check it out. Sean, we always appreciate you doing this. So uh, we took up a good chunk of your night here. I uh, hope, hope that pillow feels a little better tonight. We really <laughs> appreciate this, man. Thank you so much. I'm an old man. I'm too far gone, but thank you very much. It's always fun to come on anytime. Absolutely. We appreciate it. All right. We'll take a quick break here on MWO Sports. When we come back, myself and Steve Sabrin will chat with Julianne Stolly, the Olympic runner from right around here in Lucknow, Ontario, about her journey going to Tokyo and what it was like to race for Canada in the Olympics. We'll be right back here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you as always by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury still here, and I'm now joined by Steve Sabrin, and we're very pleased to be joined by a great special guest, friend of the show, her third appearance, I believe, on the show in a short period of time, and there's a good reason why. Luck knows Julianne Stolly is with us, and she can add Olympian to her resume now. Julianne, how are you? I'm doing well. Just fresh off the boat. <laughs> Just arrived back in Canada on Sunday, so... Still getting used to the time change. Yeah, the uh, jet lag would be pretty severe, a 13-hour difference, but uh, I'm glad you're adjusting well. And uh, speaking of adjusting, I mean, tell us a little bit about your experience going to Tokyo and being an Olympian for the first time and adjusting to that type of level, that type of mindset. What was it like for you, your whole Olympic experience? Yeah, it was incredible, um, especially for Olympic debut. I mean, I have no other comparison to go from, but um, everything in terms of the organization, um, just the the whole um, country. Like, I mean, Japan put on such a show and uh, obviously the restrictions and protocols in place made things a lot more difficult for them to host the games. But um, from the athlete standpoint, it was just, it was really incredible how they orchestrated that. And uh I just felt very fortunate to be to be competing. And although I wanted more um, in terms of performance, um, that was the best that I had on the day, given the conditions. And um, but the village and everything leading into the games, everything had really gone smoothly. So I I only have positive things to say. And I hope that this is just the beginning. Take us through, I guess, um, the lead up to the race. Uh, what was it like? getting to the village and then getting, I guess, settled and, and ready to run. Yes. Oh, so we had spent um, a couple weeks prior to um, heading into Tokyo. We were in Japan in Gifu at a holding camp. So um, Athletics Canada had arranged that in 
a few years prior to. Um, so that was all already organized. Um, and luckily then we could get adjusted to time change um, as well as the heat um, leading in. So we were only allowed into the village five days prior to competition and we had to leave within 48 hours after our final race. So it was a pretty tight timeline. Um, but we did, we were able to experience everything. I mean, the village itself was amazing. I mean, you can, you know, go get your hair done and your nails done and just the, the dining hall, everything, the whole experience is just like overwhelming, um, in the best way possible. And, um, I guess the way I could describe it, it's, it's just like a university campus essentially, um, with everyone mostly between the ages of kind of 20 to 30 and it just happens that everyone is the best at what they do and everyone is just super athletic and but um yeah no the experience and and I just did my best to try and take it all in but still be focused on sort of the race and um, managing your emotions and just getting ready for um for the start line Julianne, what was it like for you to be over there at a time when Canada is really starting to do well in terms of the medal count? And we've got people over there breaking records. Uh, It's been pretty impressive, the showing for Team Canada. What's it like in the village and being around other Canadians while, you know, other Canadians are raking in some silverware? I mean, what's that like? Yeah, the energy is incredible. Um, There's just so many talented athletes and outside of athletics, I mean, We sent 370, which I think is one of the biggest teams that Canada has sent um, with the deepest fields um, that I know of. And especially in in the track and field events, it took the fastest times to just qualify to be on this team. Um, So I was under the impression that this was going to be kind of a high performance Olympic Games for us. And, you know, with so many games or so many races postponed and these games um, being delayed a year, I think people were just ready to ready to perform. Um, and that's, I mean, it's amazing to have that kind of, um, caliber of, of team going in. Uh, and I think I sort of just drew from that. I think the experience of other athletes having been in Rio prior to, um, I just really kind of, you know, um, I guess question and just tried to get as much, um, information as I could so that my expectations were sort of set going in and I knew, um, what would be expected. Julianne, uh, can you take us through the race? Uh, and I guess, you know, from the moment that you got out introduced onto the track and kind of what happened from there, I know you had a very large following across the area. Uh, take us through those moments and and what was going through your mind uh, at the time. Yeah, I received, I got really good advice from one of the fellow Canadians. Um, she had just said, like, once you enter the stadium, she said, just take a moment to take it all in because you're not going to remember anything from the race, um, but you are going to remember walking into that stadium for the rest of your life. And I think that just really sat with me because the the feeling of walking into that stadium and never having raced in such a like grand kind of opening sort of walk-in and everything about it is just like elevated. And I think... Um, that was just a really special moment. And I knew, um, you know, stepping on the line, these are the best in the world. So, um, it's hard racing a bun- against a bunch of women who are all kind of like you just, you know, perform, um, 5,000 meters, you know, they're, they're going to be as fast as, you know, you can expect, but, um, you really just try and race people, not names and not get too fixated on times and rankings going in. So, because of the conditions, I just, I expected it to be, um, a slower semi, you know, heats going into the final. Um, it wasn't that way. It was one of the fastest semifinals that they've ever had. 
Um, so it was under 15 minutes in order to, to advance. So that was, that was really eye-opening. And um, I think it was tough just coming across the finish line. I mean, I did everything I could and I know that I wanted to be proud of the race that I run um, regardless, but just walking away from that finish line and knowing that I wouldn't be back um, at that stadium or on that track and just kind of heading up to the media and off um, to the, to the warm up track um, to do my cool down. That was sort of an emotional moment, but also just, you know, it, you did it. And now you can call yourself Olympian, I guess, for the rest of your life. You certainly can. And I mean, like Steve said, it's incredibly special and a great story for our area. I know a lot of people have been paying attention to your journey and are extremely proud of what you've accomplished. Um, and the journey's not over here because I mean, we're in a unique scenario, right? Where, you know, like you mentioned, since this one got the lady year, the Olympics now are only three years away. So uh, I guess it's right back to putting the nose on the grindstone. I mean, where do you go from here? What's next? How do you prepare? Yeah, I'll definitely take some time off. Um, I haven't ran in the last few days and I think it's just more emotional than physical, really. It's just sort of resetting and kind of getting your bearings again um, and then heading into the fall season. I think just sort of a rebuilding, um, looking forward to kind of the next three-year cycle. Um, but there are two worlds and a Commonwealth Games coming up. So there are lots of competitions to look ahead to, not just Paris. Um, but I think I really want to dedicate this next sort of um, yeah, term, I guess, in my career to just focus on running. Um, speaking of the support that was pouring in across uh, the area, were you able to catch a glimpse of some of the photos and images that were shared on social media? And did that give you, uh, I guess, a, a sense of home at times when you're away? Definitely. Yeah, no, it was, it was overwhelming the support and especially from Lucknow. I mean, they, just like decorated the town. And, um, I, you know, just being in Japan, you feel so far away, but then just seeing those, you know, messages and posts and everything, it's just, it makes you feel connected and kind of reminds you why, you know, it's, it's pretty special to, to make it to this level. And, you know, I don't think there's been an Olympian from this area and, um, yeah, it's just, it's really, it's really neat to see. So I'm just very thankful for that. Certainly. And I know a lot of people around the area are thankful as well, because like you said, I, I, I believe you might be the first Olympian, at least in the time that I've been covering the region from our area here uh, in Midwestern Ontario, which is incredibly impressive. And I mean, if, if that is the case and, you know, you're kind of the first one through the wall for a lot of people around here, I'm sure that there are going to be uh, a, a lot of younger people, a lot of high school students, particularly young women who see what you've done and are going to want to, you know, potentially try and follow in your footsteps in running shoes uh you know and, and if that's the case and any of those young ladies happen to be listening or watching this interview what would you like to say to them what what advice would you pass down to uh to the next ones yeah i, I sure hope so um i guess just enjoy the process like if if you're enjoying what you're doing the success will follow and no matter you know what stage you can compete on or where you go i think the most important is just you know training day in day out and you know, whatever you do choose, whether it's sport or outside of sport, but just making sure that you genuinely enjoy. You know, it's interesting, Julianne, about the, uh, your success, but I mean, the success of women athletes, uh, in general across team Canada, like when you look at the medal count and, you know, the top five finishes, uh, the athletes are doing incredibly well. Do you think that 
is going to help continue to push uh, athletics uh, for for women and I guess get more people involved in developing and providing the resources needed to get I guess push everybody to that next level. Yeah, for for sure. I mean, representation matters. Um, and I think that they ran stats and showed, I mean, majority are women who are competing at the game. So it's, it is, there is a shift. And I think uh, just having, I guess, female role models and that comes from coaches and stems, you know, it goes all the way down to the athlete as well. Um, but hopefully, I mean, when, you know, people can see themselves in someone else's shoes, I think when you're watching that, and especially for such a you know, major competition, the Olympics being on TV. And a lot of the times this is kind of your one chance of showcasing what you can do every, you know, three or five years kind of in the last cycle. But um, that is a really important piece. And I think for any young female or male, I mean, it, it really is just, it's having those sort of role models and just being able to, you know, see what's possible. Well, I certainly think that you've set a standard for uh, athletes in this area, like you said, female or male, and uh, I'm hoping that a lot of people paid attention. I, I know they did and are inspired by what you were able to accomplish. Uh, we really appreciate you giving us your time prior to the games, now after the games, and uh, Julianne will be paying a lot of attention as uh, we all look forward to Paris 2024. It's going to be incredible, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there as well. Congratulations on being an Olympian, and we really appreciate Appreciate you doing this again with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. We'll take one last quick break here on the show. When we come back, Jake Bolin Moss of Cool Bet will join us to uh, prep for a big UFC weekend. And we'll also talk about an NFL future bet as well that he's got his eyes on. Stay tuned here on MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to NWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Jury still along, Steve Sabrin, wrapping up the show this week. We are pleased to be joined by Jake Bolin Moss of CoolBet to discuss some uh, betting lines for the weekend. Jake, how you doing, brother? Good. Glad to be back, boys. Uh, ready for another episode here. Absolutely. Let's get right into the action. Another big UFC weekend coming up, and you got a couple of things that you're looking at here for UFC on Saturday. Take us through some of these picks and your thoughts behind them. Yeah, starting with the title fight, Louis, uh, Louis versus Gone. Uh, gone. Um, I'm looking for Gone to finish this one inside the distance. You look at uh, his record right now, he's 9-0. and uh, Younger guys, 31, as opposed to uh, Louis, who's 36. I'm, think, I'm thinking what he's going to do is he's going to kind of feel out Louis in the beginning. Louis has that early knockout power, but I think the longer this fight goes on, the better chance uh, it leans in favor of gone. And when I look at this, I'm thinking you look at what the odds makers have done. So gone huge favorite. He's minus three seventy on the money line. You look at the over under it's at three and a half. The under is minus one fifty four. So they're, they're expecting it to stay inside the distance. And um, so if you got gone as a huge favorite, you got the under as the big favorite. I don't see why you don't take the value at plus one forty five to for gone to go inside the distance so i think you take the value there you trust the odds makers and the fact that they have him as the big favorite they expect it to be inside the distance uh and we'll see him hopefully either ko uh tko or submit lewis uh probably i'd say maybe third round 
That's a good bet. I, I like it. And and you're right. Gone is, is a big favorite here. And I think that it's highly likely that if he can tire Lewis out, there's a high likelihood of a submission here. Uh, let's talk about Chiesa and Luke under 2.5 rounds at plus 108. That's a pretty good looking line as well. Yeah, I like the under in this one. Uh, both guys have finishability. Uh, if you look at, I believe in Luca's last three have stayed inside the distance. Uh, Chiesa, his... Uh, last three have actually gone the distance, so a little contradictory there. But 15 of his 22 fights uh, have stayed inside the distance, and I believe 20, ooh, 20 of Luke's 28 fights have also stayed inside the distance. So I think both these guys have finishing ability, um, and I think this one stays inside the 2.5 mark. Not quite the distance, but inside the 2.5 mark. Hey, the stats don't lie. It looks pretty good to me. Hey, NFL, it's right around the corner. I can't wait for football to be back on. It is, in my opinion, the funnest sport to bet on. And you've got to look here at NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, potentially. Who do you like there? Yeah, we just got our NFL props out. I was hoping to get uh, you guys a CFL one for this weekend, but unfortunately, we're still working on those odds um, for the next couple of days. So I'll look at the NFL props. Uh, I've got an offensive rookie of the year. I'm looking at Devontae Smith. So this caught my eye only because today the news came out. Apparently the Eagles are possibly looking into getting Deshaun Watson. I don't know if that's a great PR move. Obviously we know the issues that he's had. But if they think they can go out and get him and he's going to play, that boosts Devontae Smith uh, big time, right? You get a guy who's a number one receiver, who's expected to be the number one receiver for the Eagles, uh, and a guy like Deshaun Watson who we know can sling it. That would be a crazy duo. I think uh, he could put up some huge numbers. But I also have faith in Hurts. If they don't, if this doesn't end up going through, if it's if it's all just smoke and mirrors, I have I have faith in Hurts. I think he played well last year near the end of last season, uh, and I think he can come in and have a big year, kind of prove the prove the doubters wrong that people are still saying they're not too sure on him. Uh, I believe right now Smith is out with an MCL sprain, two to three weeks. Uh, I'm sure as long as there's no setbacks, he should start the season as the number one guy in Philly. So expect him to get a lot of targets uh, and blow the tops off some of those defenses. I know he's a smaller guy, but he, sh- he showed he could be a star at Alabama, won the Heisman Trophy, and I really like him at uh, plus 2,200 there, offensive rookie of the year. He's a spectacular pick. Uh, I like it. I might lay some money down on that myself, actually. I think that's a great shout by you, and that's why he's one of our wagering experts, Jake Bolin Moss from Coolbet. We really appreciate this, buddy. Uh, best of luck, and hopefully some of these bets come through for us. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. All right, guys, remember you can listen to this show Friday nights at 6 on CKNX AM 920 and cknx.ca. You can find the podcast on all the best podcast networks. Remember, you can watch the show Friday nights at 8, Sunday nights at 9 with our friends on Whiteman TV, and it debuts on our YouTube channel Friday nights at 9. Follow us on social media at MWO underscore sports. All right, for myself, Ryan Drury, Clarkie, Steve Sabrin, and our wagering expert, Jake Bullen Moss, we appreciate you guys listening to and watching MWO Sports. Brought to you by CoolBet.co.